So should we con- continue where we left off at the beginning? How many of you uh, kind of rise up? Are there topics that you find get you just emotionally charged up? Are there topics that you kind of go, I don't want to talk about that, I don't go there. Because everything comes under the Lordship of Jesus. Everything is open for discussion. If we have a humility that says, I see partially, I understand partially. This is what I understand at this point. What do you think? And that's how we grow. It's so easy to actually stop growing because we stop listening. I mean, I got this opinion when I was five years old and I'm going to keep it. Rather than understanding that we come out of backgrounds that form us and some of, our, some of the things we feel deeply are just relative truth. Relative truth means it's true for me. With every fiber of my being, it's true. But it might be wrong. That's what I read an article last week, it was a week or two weeks ago, about Peter. He kept saying, I now realize. I thought God was for the Jews, and I thought God was just, you know, me and Jesus and, and the other boys around and some of the women, and we're going to build a church for the Jews. And then Peter has this revelation of uh, the unclean animals in a sheet. And he goes to the Gentile house, Cornelius, and God speaks to Cornelius, who's not even a Jew. He's not a Christian. He's, he's just a guy who's trying to do the best he can with what he's got. And God responds to that. That's actually why I think it's very dangerous to say who God allows into heaven. Because it's a mystery. There are many people who are in this place of Cornelius. They don't know Jesus. They don't know who God is. They just know something in them speaks to somebody up there who they're not sure of. And in fact, I'll just that, that reminds me of something. We're having a guy called Bill, I get his name wrong, Prankett? Prankett? He's, a, he's an evangelist. He's, he, he, he's back east and he's in his 60s and he's going to come and do a mission, a sort of ministry time here on the 26th of April. We'll put out a notice and I'll put out some more details. The reason I'm remembering him is he's going to spend Wednesday, Thursday, Friday here. And he had this vision, and he's, he's had this calling to go and minister to the northern parts of Canada. And frankly, as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who gets a call to the northern part of Canada and goes must be an amazing man of God. Because most people feel led to Florida. And, and why, I'm, why I'm remembering him as I speak is because in one of the... Uh, the videos that I saw of him as I was kind of seeing who he, who he is, he talks about going to this place up north where um, they had never heard about Jesus. In fact, I think it was in Russia, in Siberia. And, and they turn up at this place and, and the man, after being there for two days, the man says, I have... No, th- when, when he comes, they, they say to him... Um, at last you've come. And he says, what do you mean? He says, we've been standing out here screaming to the stars. God, if you're out there, send us someone so we can know you. That's how God works, by the way. He always works through people. And God works through people in order for us to also refine our thinking. You need the people around you. You need people who you don't even like. Because you need and I need humility. 
we do not know the whole truth. We do not know many, many things. And we live in a culture that's very passive right now. It's very accepting, which is good. And in a sense, I'm going to get political. If I was a liberal, they're very inclusive. And I think that's good. There's an element of if I was running the world, you would have the right to be whatever you want to be. If you're gay, you're lesbian, you're transsexual, you have the right to be that. Do I think it's of God? No, I don't. You have the right to be that in the world. In the church, no, you don't. But you do have the right to be whatever you think you should be because that's what Jesus gives people. And where we get stuck is when we start trying to impose things on people. The first thing people need to encounter is the love of God. Because people believe things out of places of hurt or places of necessity or places of survival. And when Jesus comes into the world and he sees us, he doesn't see our behavior, he sees behind it and the roots of that behavior. So if I spend if I if I speak about Donald Trump, I am not endorsing Donald Trump and I'm also not saying he's not of God in the sense of he's loved by Jesus. And we could name anybody else. But do I agree? Not necessarily. But that's true for every kind of people. Any person. And so we learn together, we talk together. We say, what do you think? Why do you think that? And many times we just come to go, well, let's just leave that for now, where it is. Does that make sense? We don't have to hammer everything to a final conclusion. We don't know. But I will say, you know, one of the things we can talk about is, you know, does God put people in government? Because that came up. No, he allows people in government. As soon as we say God does this in a deliberate way, we get into very very dicey places of predestination and God's will is this. And as soon as you do that, and that's, that's a Calvinist teaching, by the way, which, you know, God knows who are going to be his and God does this and so therefore it takes away the relational freedom that I have. And so God allows things that he doesn't always desire. In the freedom of the world, he allows us, all of us, we have all gone our separate ways and fallen short of the glory of God. He didn't will that. That was part of the environment, our heritage, the sinfulness of the world in which we live. And the good news is that God, in his grace and his kindness, comes into all of that and still calls us by name and says, I love you. Right? It doesn't mean everything that we do is right. And so we live in that gray area of tensions and freedoms and frustrations. And we learn to, we're trying to learn how to be a community where we can actually hear one another in order to grow to another place, not just defend our little positions. And if you find that you're ever in a place where you're just tense and you're frustrated and you're walking out and you're not talking because so-and-so said that, that is your issue. That's God telling you something about you. Like, why are you getting so fed up? 
And since when were you in the position of God? And since when can't you talk about that to somebody else? Since when did you get so opinionated? Because in our pursuit of truth, we all know this. You can be true and be wrong. And we're going to see this in the scriptures. Because if you do not have love behind your truth, you're just a clanging gong. And if you're right, but your delivery is wrong, Jesus isn't present in that. The Pharisees had a lot of truth out of the Old Testament. And Jesus' greatest anger was to the ones who actually said they believed in God. And he said, my problem with you guys is that you take truth and you beat people up with it. And that truth, when it's filtered through my love, becomes powerful. But when people get my love, they actually see me loving them and then they get the truth behind that. But if you just hit people with truth, passe, you've forgotten that love is the thing that's most important to the heart of God. So sometimes we have to build relationship in order to have truth released. I mean, it's easier to theorize and just give you truth without relationship. It's called dogma, rules, regulations, opinions. How many people here have strong opinions and stuff? How does that go down with those around you? How is it delivered? Is it delivered with kindness and grace or is it delivered like, you know what I mean? Depends on the person you're talking to. That's no excuse. <laughs> That's why we need one another. That's why we need community. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I, I am the life. I mean, what is the most encouraging thing about Jesus for you? He doesn't come up to you and say, let me tell you the truth about you. And this is the truth. And he, you see, I grew up going, if Jesus came up and told me the truth about me, he would just give out all the negatives. It would just be a, tra a litany of stuff that I've done wrong. And if he said, John, come up to the front of this church right now, I'm going to tell everybody the truth about you. And then he called you by name and said, come up here, I'm going to tell you the truth about you. What would we go, oh boy, this is going to be embarrassing. And then the most amazing thing would happen because he would put his arm around you or me and say, this is John, this is my son. The truth is I love him. The truth is I actually am very proud of him. And I'm amazed with all the stuff he's gone through that he's still standing and I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled at who he's becoming. That's the truth that sets me free. And if Jesus called each one of you out by name, he would put his arm around you and he would boast about you and the truth of who you are in him. And all the negative stuff that the accuser would speak doesn't get a mention. It's dead the cross and you and I do not live there most of the time our truth is negative and what we're trying to learn as a church is how do we live in the truth of what is good 
And how do we speak truth into one another's lives when we can't even see it ourselves? It's not difficult to speak negative to one another. It's, you don't need Jesus. You do not need the crucifixion. You do not need the resurrection. You do not need revelation. You do not need the Bible. You don't need anything to speak negativity. It is the easiest, most cowardly, most lazy way to live. Critical spirits hammering each other, murmuring behind closed doors. You know what it does to your spirit? It shrivels it up. And I tell you, it changes your face and you look ugly and you sound ugly and you smell ugly. Just in case you didn't know that. Negativity is ugly. We all have some of it. Not pointing fingers, just saying. We need the Spirit of God and His grace and His forgiveness to speak truth and love. How many of you have heard that word? I just want to tell you the truth in love. And what's it? A huge negative, which is not the truth in love. It's your issue. Now, it might be, but you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm the truth in love is that God has time for you and so do I. The truth in love is what? I need to just talk to you about what do you mean by this? Rather than I'm concluding I've heard you correctly and now I'm going to judge you. Jesus said the truth will set us free. So let me get back to my notes because I didn't plan any of that. I wanted to talk about the truth because Jesus says I am the way and the truth and the life and I'm going to spend over the next two weeks talking about the way and the life but the truth is hugely important particularly in this time but maybe it's always been that way. And if you've been looking at the news at all you know there's a whole big argument now about what is news, fake news. Here's some definitions. The truth matters. The truth matters. You see, Jesus could have lived in the culture of Rome, which was far more violent and aggressive than this place is. The danger of Canada is that nothing matters enough to stand up on. You allow freedom, and everybody has to have freedom, but it's in terms of what matters in turn when, when when does when does is a time to say i need to stand up for this now the problem is that people and christians particularly think that standing up for things is waving placards and pointing fingers and they just become painful for instance well meaning people standing up and say we are against abortion uh, you should not have abortion and we line the streets with placards down with abortion and you go, so what kind of face is that? And what do you say to somebody who has had an abortion? I've counseled lots of women over the years and there will be some here without question. And somebody who, and I always, when I say this, say, I spent in my 20s, early 20s weekends with a girl in Chester in England and she came home one day and said, I'm late. And I'm saying this really seriously, but I'm just saying it. And if she had been pregnant, I would have agreed to an abortion because I was 23 and I wasn't going to marry her and I was going back to South Africa. And I'm not saying this with any pride. I'm just saying it with grace, grace, grace. There but for the grace of God. 
So you wave a placard at me and you don't even know me. I don't hear anything of God's love through you other than judgment. You might be right, and I actually agree with that. I do not think abortion is of God. But I think the delivery has to be a lot better. And if there is an abortion, God has grace for that. Because you can't kill the spirit. So the child you abort and the life you abort lives on. He doesn't give us authority to terminate life for eternity. So if you've had an abortion, God forgives and your child lives on. And I will tell you this, that every single woman who's ever had an abortion, they know the time and the date and every year they remember it. Because they've been fed a lie that a fetus is not a baby. But they never speak about the fetus. They always speak about the baby. You see, the truth sets free. Lies do not. And we're playing games in our culture now. I have a right to have a child. I have a right to have a child if I'm in a gay relationship. I have a right to have a child. I want, the, I want everything. And we have to learn how to be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. That the delivery of God's truth is gentle and firm and loving. It's so easy for us to get self-righteous about our issue. And you stand and you wave a placard on one issue and somebody comes up behind you and says, and by the way, this issue that you're trying to hide, I'm going to wave a placard about that and then you're going to go, oh, no, 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 but that's different. So we wrestle. Lord, how do we, how are we a people of grace and truth in a world that is so broken? And how do we bear witness to the fact that nothing that anybody has ever done that has been evil disqualifies them from the love of Jesus. Fake news tries to distort truth towards an end. I've got three definitions here. Firstly, fake truth is false information deliberately circulated by those who have scant regard for the truth but hope to advance particular, often extreme political causes and make money out of online traffic. In other words, there's a lot of things going on online right now where you publish fake news and you get all the hits because of the, of the, of the, the, the sort of uh, saucy and, and the, the juicy gossip. And every hit on that website creates money for the person who's just said it's fake. Or they know they've said it's true. And some people think if they read it, it must be true. Or if you said it, it must be true. And if you believe everything everybody says without qualifying it, you, oh, you need to be pitied. You're going to be very gullible. Secondly, fake news is false information that is circulated by journalists who do not realize it is false. So there's an, there's a, an innocent, ignorant, um, sincere way of that. That's fair enough. The third kind of fake news isn't really fake at all. It's simply news that some people don't like to acknowledge and wish to silence. Somebody said, finding out the real story takes time and effort. Time and effort cost money. Once you've found the real story, you have to verify it. That's what makes it true. But verification also takes time and effort. And sometimes the thrilling tip-off you receive turns out to be no more than that. 
It would be amazing if the moon were made of cheese or Elvis Presley still lived, but it isn't and he doesn't. The Oxford Dictionary selected post-truth as its word of the year. And its definition is, objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Somebody else said, instead people are trying to experience life to the full and call this experience truth for them. Not absolute truth, just truth for them. And the general guideline in this culture is simple. Keep your monkey off my back. If it works for you, fine, but don't lay it on me. Truth is something that is important. There was fake news around Jesus. There was fake news around his life. There was fake news around his death. There was fake news around his resurrection. You remember the Romans paid to have a... What work do you do to verify things that you think? And what do you pass on? How do you determine what is true? And I don't believe we can determine truth even in a, and I think all our truth is, any, is, is kind of partial truth because we're just on the journey. But how do we take responsibility for the things we believe? How do we take responsibility for the things that are, are, are called truth in us? You see, do you know what subject of truth means that it's, it's true for you? So it's, tr- it's an experience that's true for you and it feels true for you. But it doesn't necessarily mean it is true. And there's, there's an important truth that is our truth, as long as we don't take that as the authority for all things. And so when Jesus came into the world, said, I am truth. And one of the distinctive marks about Jesus from other religious leaders is Jesus said, I'm not teaching you something that's dogma over here. I'm actually saying to you, my teaching is wrapped up in my identity. So my teaching goes hand in hand with me because you cannot keep my teaching without me. Because I give you the power to do what I teach you to do. So you can't divorce my teaching from me. That's why when people say, well, Jesus was a good man and he's an admirable guy to follow, you go, no, Jesus never taught that. He never said you can do that. C.S. Lewis is famous for saying he's either crazy He's like a man with, you know, thinks he's a poached egg. He's he's either true or he's not true. And so Jesus said, "Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. I will lead you into the Father. The Father is in me. I am in the Father." He made all those radical dis- comments, and that was all brought to a head at his crucifixion. Now we've killed him. So all the things he said about himself can't be true. Until the third day, he rises from the dead and is seen by 500 people over three weeks. And they go, as Peter said, I now realize. It's unbelievable. He is who he claimed to be. So they go back and say, what did he say? Because that truth thing, we, we better sharpen up that truth. So what do I want to do? I want to say, Jesus, help me grow in understanding truth about me and about the world in which we live. Why do we need one another? Because we need to be able to talk about what we believe so that we can actually say, I mean, do you have humility in you? Are you humble? 
You think you're humble? What would humble look like? Humble looks like I'm teachable. Humble looks like I don't know everything yet. Humble looks like, can you help me with this? Humble looks like I'm really passionate about this, but I mean, there's 1% I could be wrong. Humble means being willing to open your heart to other people so they can know you and you can know them. And I say, Jesus, teach me what, what wholeness means. Teach me what truth is about. Teach me the truth. You know, the truth is we are sinners. The truth is we deserve to go to hell. The truth is there's nothing good in us. We need a savior. There's an element, you see, where truth is a coin. And one side is the true nature of how God sees the world as it's broken and it has fallen as it is separate from him. And on the other side of that coin is grace. What has God done about it? You can't have grace without truth. If you have grace without truth, grace without truth, you have sentimentality and you have something very superficial. It doesn't hold up. So in everything, God has like there's good news and bad news. The good news is this part that maybe doesn't make you look so good. The bad news is I've already dealt with that. And they always go together. That's how you get humility. Humility is living in the tension between knowing who I am without Jesus and knowing whom becoming with him. That's why we all have hope. There's hope for all of us. But if you're going to walk with Jesus and you're going to walk in community, you have to learn how to grow in humility. Give me five minutes to... I was going to show you a video... Uh, do you want to put the video on? But I'm just going to cut it short. It, it's, it's seven minutes, but I'm just going to do about three or four. It's from a project called Pro uh, Truth Project. Um, okay. Just some snippets of, of a project about truth um, which probably resonate with us, right? And that's why Jesus, you know, Jesus comes into our lives and says, I am the truth. Diana was talking about being vulnerable. I don't know whether I feel like it, but I've said this to you before, but I, I just want to illustrate it as, as honestly as I know how. When I went through my whole crisis and sort of breakdown, um, and I had an affair, and some parts of me were touched in a way that was so authentic and so real, that I would have, I would have, I gave up everything. I was publicly humiliated in this town, and I lost everything. I lost my marriage because I was saying this expression is true for me, and it's meeting something deep in me that's never been met before. And it took me into a very dark place of, on one hand, excitement, but most of the time, just very a lot of pain. And what I'm trying to say is at that moment my truth was very, very real but it was also very wrong. And the one thing I could never do because I remember thinking at the time I said if I was gay I get it. 
this feels so fulfilling and it feels so true and so right. But I could never get to the point of going, but God, <laughs> I know it's wrong. It was painful. I went through seven years of wrestling with what is true and trying to get God to agree with my truth. And he just doesn't budge. I don't know how clear to explain it because I'm trying to explain it from a place of emotional involvement, not just theory. And we will all have places where it feels so true to us and it'll be wrong. It might not be as radical as adultery. It might just be a mentality that you carry that is wrong. And the humility we need is just to go, God, I don't even know how to get out of this mentality but I know it's not right. Help me. Does that make sense to you? You see, I'm not trying to say to you today, I don't want to get into like this is truth, let's beat each other up. I'm just wanting to say, how can we be a people of integrity and truth? That we are, we are wrestling for truth in the midst of our brokenness. And we're in a culture that is incredibly uh, floating around on nothing. You know, Facebook likes and, and three lines of a Twitter become our truth. Give me a break. Jesus is our rock. And when we come to Jesus and when we start saying, Jesus, I want your truth and I'm not going to yield to anything else, but thank you that you give me a company of people who we can find out what it means to follow you with grace. And you know, this has been in the scriptures and this has been in human history. Nothing is new. Listen to what he says and, and I'm going to close soon. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. When Hitler was elected in Germany in around the early 1930s, he promised the people almost like a resurrection of the German state coming out of the ashes of the First World War a people who were crushed, who needed a vision, and they voted Hitler in to power. And Hitler turned on them and absolutely raped and pillaged not only them but the rest of the world, itching ears, wanting to hear. You and I have itching ears. There's some things we want to hear, and they're not true. This is very, very serious. So don't handle information lightly. Don't spread information lightly. Ask God to give you a curiosity that fights for truth. Because he says later in Ephesians, he says, "Walk, uh, speak the truth in love. The definition of truth, you've already heard it. What is truth? Jesus. Jesus is truth. I'm not going to separate his teaching, his ministry, 
the revelation that comes through the scriptures from him. I'm never going to take a passage of scripture or a phrase or a verse and throw it at you and judge you with that verse. I'm just going to say Jesus is the one who will teach you this. Let's stand. Let's ask him to purify our hearts. You know what the fake news is? The fake news is that there is no hope for your life. The fake news is, is that God doesn't have time for you. The fake news is that you'll never change and they will never change whoever they are. There's lots of fake news. It comes from the accuser's printing press. Well, he's actually digital now. But the truth that comes from the heart of God says, My beloved, the truth that comes from the heart of God says, Don't be afraid because I'm Lord of all things. Don't let anything get too big to crush your hope. Don't draw conclusions that Jesus isn't giving you. The truth is that I have a present for you and a future for you and I will be sufficient for you. So Father, I ask your Holy Spirit